are listening to the Succession Link Get Connected podcast. Succession Link is the leading networking and communication platform connecting financial advisors who are interested in buying, selling, merging, and finding succession planning options for their practices. Please welcome the host of Get Connected and co-founder at Succession Link, Phil Flakes. Welcome back, and thanks again for joining episode number three of the Get Connected podcast. This podcast is designed to help financial professionals on their journey to buy, sell, merge, and network effectively on the SuccessionLink platform. In today's episode, we're going to shed some light on the insurance portion of the community. And as some of you listening may or may not know, we introduced the insurance side uh, to the SuccessionLink community in the first quarter of 2017. And so far, it's grown to over a 1,000 members. And so during today's Opportunity Spotlight, I will be highlighting a few featured practice listings on the insurance side. So first one here is in Oxnard, California, with 120000 in annual gross revenues and 20000 in premiums. The average client age in this practice is 46. And the practice owner goes on to say that they have a startup farmer's agency with about 20000 in recurring commissions, and they add 15 to 20 policies, new policies each month and they are looking to sell. The business mix breakdown is 10% in life insurance, 40% in auto insurance, 40% in home insurance, and 10% in commercial. The life insurance is done again with farmers. The home insurance is done with both Chubb and farmers. And the commercial insurance business is done with Chubb, Hartford Financial, Liberty Mutual, Zurich Insurance Group, and Farmers. The agency management system that's utilized in this practice is SIMS and a proprietary technology that's offered through Farmers. Uh, Next practice is coming to us from Tampa, Florida with $300,000 in annual gross revenues and $1 million in premiums. The average client age is 65, and the business mix breakdown is 30% premiums and 70% renewals. This practice is independently run and currently doing long-term care, annuities, medical supplements, and more. The business has renewal potential as these products constantly renew and pay commissions, and the owner of this practice is in search of a buyer. Further on the business mix ratio, 10% of the business is in life insurance, 40% is in health insurance, and the 50% that is in other is, again, the long-term care, annuities, and medical supplements. The health insurance business is done with Aetna, United Health Group, and Transamerica. The life insurance business is done with Aetna, United, and Transamerica. The other insurance business, which makes up that 50% or half of the practice, is done with Lincoln National Corporation and One America. And again, this is a practice located in Tampa, Florida, with over $300,000 in annual gross revenues. Uh, Next practice is coming to us in Westminster, Colorado, and over $1 million in annual gross revenues and $2 million in premiums. The average client age is 65 and has a combination of 25% retail and 75% wholesale business with a total focus on the senior market to include all Medicare products, life, and annuities. The business mix breakdown even further goes on to say life insurance makes up 5% of the business, health insurance makes up 70% of the business, 
and the other is 25% of the business. The life insurance carriers or where the life insurance business is done is with Allianz, Assurity Life Insurance, Banner Life Insurance, Midland National Life, Mutual of Omaha, United of Omaha Life, and American National Insurance Company. The health insurance business is done with Universal American Corporation, WellPoint, AARP, Aetna, Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield, and Cigna. Next up, you're going to hear an excerpt from a recent webinar that took place here at SuccessionLink titled Financing Your Agency Acquisition in a Competitive Market. And during this presentation, you'll first hear from my longtime business partner and also co-founder at SuccessionLink, Nicholas Goods, and Mike Strakoff, who's the executive director at Live Oak Bank for their insurance channel. My name is Nicholas Goods, co-founder of SuccessionLink. Before we begin, I'd like to cover a few housekeeping topics regarding the SuccessionLink platform and updates that you might not be aware of. For those of you not familiar with SuccessionLink, the platform was introduced in 2013 to address the succession and continuity needs of financial advisors. We saw a tremendous amount of success and had requests to provide a similar solution to the insurance and CPA space. As of the first quarter 2017, the insurance segment of SuccessionLink was officially rolled into the main platform. We expect to have a similar solution for CPAs near term. At SuccessionLink, our goal is to provide the tools and resources necessary for financial professionals such as yourselves to engage in a meaningful dialogue with local users, whether it be to buy, sell, merge, or find perpetuation or continuity for your agency or practice. Now I'd like to hand it over to Mike Strackoff at Live Oak Bank to begin the presentation. Mike? Thank you very much. I'd like to thank you, as well as SuccessionLink, for the opportunity to address you all today. My name is Mike Strackoff. I'm Executive Director of Insurance Lending at Live Oak Bank. Quick background, I have 27 years in the insurance business as a background prior to joining Live Oak Bank. Uh, I've had agency experience as well as carrier experience. I've seen the industry from a bunch of different angles, including a claim adjuster, selling commercial insurance, managing a number of territories for national insurance carriers, as well as acquiring agencies as a member of acquisition team while on the agency side. Now, let's talk uh, about the steps to winning a deal. The first step is, is uh, preparation. And what we suggest is take a look in the mirror. And really what you want to do is make sure before you go through the process, start considering or even making offers or having conversations that you really feel that your house is in, is in order, that you're not in a situation where there are things that need to be addressed on your end that could be compounded or exaggerated once you either start going through the process and certainly after you conclude an acquisition. And if there are issues beforehand, uh, they could be magnified post-transaction. So looking at it from a number of different angles, the first being staffing. Are you currently staffed and do you have the right staff that can currently handle the demands of your agency? And is there capacity for those folks to potentially help out through the acquisition process? Uh, any issues with customer service, office operations, new business acquisition, really making sure that you're clicking on all cylinders on your end is important because, again, you want to make sure that that continues and is not completely disrupted as you start thinking about and going through an acquisition. And 
ultimately it comes down to, is this the right time? Uh, again, it's rare in most instances that everything is perfect and neatly in rows and neatly in boxes when you start thinking about uh, whatever the next great adventure is for your business. Uh, but to the degree that you could have as many things in order as possible that will be less of a distraction and, and less of a risk as you move through the acquisition is going to be important. Do you have the capacity? So this is something that's better to face now and realize that an acquisition is going to take an awful lot of your time, potentially the time of your teammates to help you get through this acquisition. So take a, a realistic look at your agency and your ability, personal ability, personal capacity to get this done. And there's no shame in, in realizing that the answer to that question may be no, and there may be opportunities to get outside help. And in the cases that you don't realistically have that capacity or your staff does not, it really makes sense. It'll make your life easier in the long run. Make sure that you do a better job through due diligence, but making sure you do that analysis beforehand is important. And then obviously, what is the financial situation or condition of the agency at this stage you know, prior to acquisition? Is your business bankable? It's not the time to find out that you know your agency has some cash flow challenges uh, when you're sitting in front of either a banker or a seller trying to work out a deal and figure out if you can make this work. Really kind of do the analysis now to say, hey, how financially strong am I and how would a financial institution view my agency in the event that I need financing now before you're at the heat of the deal, want to get it done and find out there's a number of challenges and obstacles. A lot of that is driven by your history. So do you have a history of profitable growth? Certainly important uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, but certainly an indication of a well-run agency. What is your cash flow? And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. Uh, but making sure that you have a reasonable, if not exceptional, cash flow for your agency that shows evidence of, of quality management and the ability really to manage the aspects of your agency that are important to uh, ensure that you have the appropriate cash flow to complete an acquisition. And then personal credit worthiness. Uh, part of a financing or seeking financing uh, is going to be a look at your personal uh, finances. So, Understanding what those are beforehand, what's your FICO score, do you have any derogatories on your credit report, have you been timely in paying your bills, all of these things are important to know. There's likely things that you can do now to clean things up prior to either applying for financing or moving forward with an acquisition to make sure that you're in the best possible position from a personal credit perspective. Know your target. Uh, understand what you're looking to buy. So a lot of agents, if you sit in the room and ask them who's interested in acquiring an agency, Half, if not more, of the rooms, hands will go up. Uh, but when you really get into it, what exactly are you looking for? So you want an agency that's in town, uh, in the county, in the state, your, your side of the state. Would you be willing to go outside? Uh, things like that are good to know uh, based on your analysis internally and what you're able to manage. The size of the agency. Are you looking for an agency of similar size, something bigger, something smaller? What do you think that you'd be able to handle from an acquisition perspective? Are there specific lines of business that you're interested in? Are you an expert in workers' compensation for a particular industry and you're looking to complement that capability with other lines of business or other industries? What is it that you're looking to do? Is it commercial lines acquisition? Is it a personal lines acquisition? There are a number of things that you should think about as opposed to evaluating deals as you see them, trying to figure out whether you can do them or not, really laser focused on what type of agency are you looking for. Strategic alignment, you know, are there things that you're looking to grow with a specific carrier to a certain spot that allows you to take advantage of additional incentive compensation, let's say, 
or an industry that is a good complement to the current industry that you may focus on right now, or the product mix. You know, are you a a construction commercial construction agency, and you think you could acquire a surety agency that would help complement current capabilities uh, in a way that you can cross sell your book and provide additional services to your clients. So there's a number of things that you certainly could look at to expand the product offering and/or expertise of your agency through acquisition. And then agency culture. Uh, the culture of the agency, as you look at an acquisition, is going to be extremely important for a lot of reasons, and particularly through the transition and getting everyone on board and you know, kind of what the customers expect based on the target agency's culture. It's going to be important for you to know and analyze and really give some thought to how well is that going to integrate into your existing uh, culture. So taking a look at that and understanding it and really giving it some thought on um, is this a cultural fit for your agency can be a big determination of how successful the transition goes. Why should the seller pick you? It really comes down to when you are making an offer to acquire an agency, one, it's likely that there's other buyers, so you're likely in a competitive situation. Might not be the case, but most times there is. So really there is a, a sales piece, obviously, to this. But ultimately, you really need to have a conversation with the seller, get an understanding of what they're looking to accomplish through this acquisition and really take maybe this list or an extended list of the one that you create and really put together your sales pitch on why you are the best possible pick for the seller. And there are a number of reasons other than cash and price uh, that could come into play. And some of those might be, you know, the seller is interested in continuing working. So what's that look like? And can you facilitate that through the acquisition process? Some sellers are, are incredibly uh, concerned about uh, the, the acquirer making sure that their employees are taken care of and that they all have jobs post-acquisition. Some are certainly looking to maximize cash at close or structure could be a big part of what they're, what they're really m- most focused on. Some may own a building, want, to, want you to continue to be a, a tenant in that building or want you to buy the building. So there's likely some pretty unique aspects of the seller's interest that you're going to need to meet. And the more you understand that, the better proposition I'm sure you could put forward. But there's a number of things within your agency that would be important for the seller to know and how that might be beneficial to their customers, to their employees, to the great name they've created over time. This is typically an emotional sell. And a lot of times you need to to, uh, appeal to the emotional side of that sale. But making sure that you're giving it some thought on how you're going to sell this agency to the seller is important. Next, I'd like to talk a little bit about value and price. We get a lot of questions with regard to, you know, is this a good deal? So we have a couple of ways of looking at that. And many times we have agencies that come to us and say, hey, I'm thinking about buying this agency, or we've had some discussions and we've agreed to pay a multiple of revenue. So two times revenue, let's say, or two and a half times revenue, one and a half times revenue, which I think for conversation pieces, uh, probably a good uh, starting point. But ultimately, what you're buying in this acquisition is the free cash flow of the agency and really going through a process that determines what's the EBITDA, so the earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization is really a very solid financial analysis of really what you're looking at from an acquisition perspective. Basically, you take your, uh, you know, your cash earnings, you eliminate interest and taxes, all the non-cash expenses, depreciation, amortization. And then we go through a process taking a look at uh, what we would consider to be addbacks, 
So if the uh, owner is not staying on, the seller's compensation would be removed. If there are expenses in there that will not continue post-acquisition, uh, really make some adjustments to the balance sheet to, to get a sense of really what's the EBITDA look like in a, on a pro forma basis, excluding what the seller may be taking as compensation and or may have had expenses in there that might be duplicates and no longer necessary or could be eliminated uh, just uh, on their face. To give you a sense of what we typically see, agencies under $2.5 million in revenue tend to be valued somewhere between five times to seven times EBITDA. There are exceptions, and depending on you know, that particular agency, there might be aspects of it that are more attractive or less attractive uh, to the typical buyer. You have some buyers that are just hot and heavy, love the agency for a lot of different reasons that are willing to you know, pay more than that. But generally speaking, five times to seven times EBITDA is a good rule of thumb. Multiple of revenue, again, not a bad kind of beginning point of yardstick, but you really want to make sure that you do your homework with regard to what is the free cash flow of the agency. Financing and structure, the typical deal that we would see for an agency acquisition. So a selling agent looking to exit the business, they obviously identify a buyer. The buyer comes to us. We provide financing anywhere from 25 to 75% of the financing, uh, leaving 25% for either a down payment or a seller note. So it's typically a combination of both. A couple of variations. You might see somebody that will have a base purchase price and then a guaranteed payment uh, post-close. Many deals will have an earnout piece. There are agreed upon metrics that if the agent meets, they would be entitled to a post-close payment in addition to what they received at closing. Example might be $750,000 at closing. And then you have a earnout based on 250000 as the potential additional payment post-close if the agent meets certain things, either from a profitability perspective, growth perspective, retention, et cetera. Uh, but there are conditions put around that. We see that the seller likes to stay on or wants to stay on for a period of time, let's say 12 months, or there are key employees that need to be part of the deal moving forward. Uh, many times that's included in the purchase agreement. And then office buildings. Uh, we do see a number of agencies that own buildings. So they may want you as the acquirer to either buy that building or at least uh, agree to a portion of time in which uh, you would be a tenant in that building, you know, two, three, five years that you're going to agree to make stay, stay in that building. And again, that can be part of uh, the deal and something that's very important to the seller. Uh, so you need to be aware of that as potential. So transitions. Talking about transition post-acquisition is probably a little too late. Uh, really, you want to have a transition plan that you're discussing with the seller, with your employees, with the employees of the seller to the extent that you can, to involve them in a process of making sure that you can transition this agency in a way that is not disruptive to employees and not disruptive to clients. Because you really want to make sure that the revenue that you acquired, you know, that free cash flow is something that does exist post-acquisition. And you've done everything possible to preserve that through this whole transition. For anyone looking to hear the full webinar recording, we will make sure to have a link in the show notes, but it's definitely worth a listen. As I'm sure you can recognize, Mike has an extensive background in the space and a lot of good information to share. So next up is Evie, the head of operations here at SuccessionLink, sharing some of her thoughts on the mistakes to avoid when selling an insurance firm. So you have decided that now is the right time to sell your insurance firm. Perhaps you're ready to retire. Maybe you have lost the passion you once had. No matter what applies, it is important to approach the sale in the correct manner. You can't afford to make mistakes. 
We're going to take a look at the most common errors to avoid when selling your insurance business. Before you agree to sell the business, you need to agree on what will happen during the transition period. There are many buyers who expect sellers to stay for several months to assist in the transition. Of course your buyer may want a clean break, and therefore, as soon as your signature is on the dotted line, you're free to go. Either way, it is vital to establish this from the offset. If this is the first firm you are selling, you may price your business incorrectly due to a lack of experience. This is a costly error, as when it comes to how long a company stays on the market, price is the largest determining factor. It is important to have an effective valuation in place to ensure that your price is in touch with the marketplace. Of course you want to show your business in the best possible light. However, that doesn't permit you to exaggerate or distort the truth. Some owners cover up issues, distort projections, and exaggerate numbers. If you do this and the sale goes through, you could find yourself facing legal action. Another error a lot of people make when attempting to sell their insurance company is failing to pre-qualify buyers. Many owners are scared that they will frighten their prospects away by qualifying them too quickly. More importantly, you can protect sensitive information about your business from falling into the wrong hands. This ensures only serious buyers have access to key information regarding the sale. A lot of business owners hire a broker and believe their work is done. However, taking a hands-off approach is ill-advised. No one has more inside knowledge about your company or more motivation to sell than you. Therefore, while the broker may do everything in their power to market your firm effectively, it is still imperative that you are on board. Just because you play a significant role does not mean you do not need the services of a broker. A broker can add at least 10% to the sale price in most cases. When it comes to something as critical as the sale of your business, having a professional on your side is of paramount importance. Thanks so much for joining episode number three of Get Connected. We hope that the information that we shared in today's episode will help you on your journey to buy, sell, merge, and network effectively in the SuccessionLink community. Again, I'm your host, Phil Flakes, and see you next time on Get Connected. Up next, Jack Foote, Customer Service Manager at SuccessionLink, will explain the differences between the basic, light, and premier subscriptions and provide instruction on how to get signed up for SuccessionLink. Thanks again for joining and see you next time on Get Connected.